We're making beds over here. Just get ready. All right. Let's jump in uh, to the text. We've got a lot of text tonight. We're going through chapter 16 and tomorrow chapter 17. Uh, I tried to get through all of the text, John 13 through 17, and I skipped a little bit in the beginning of 14. Uh, so you can go and read that on your own leisure. Um, but we are, what? We are beginning in uh, chapter 16. Here we go. Open up your Bibles. You're going to read the whole thing. I'm kidding. We're going to start in verse 5. Yeah, 16, verse 5. I'll also have it up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also... You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Unless now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? 
Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when ye will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. God, we now come to your word that we may be taught, encouraged, convicted by your spirit, that we would leave this changed. Your word is living and active, and it changes us. Would you turn our attention to it? Would you give us the strength we need to get through this time together? Would our attention be turned to you, who is the author and the perfecter of our salvation? pray this in your name. Amen. So, 120 miles east of the Mariana Islands is the deepest part of the ocean, and it's called the Marianas Trench. Um, it is 35,000 feet below sea level. So, if you were to take Mount Everest and flip it on its head to where it's, it's, the top is pointing down, you still have another mile to go till you reach the bottom of the Marianas Trench. And up until a couple of years ago, no scientist had ever been able to reach this place um, because, you know, they would create this technology and try to send it down, but the water pressure is like a thousand times down there what it is on sea level. And so they'd send something down and it would just get smashed. Um, until recently, uh, they, they designed something that was able to get down into those dark, freezing cold waters. And what they discovered was that something was actually alive down there. It was these tiny little half-inch long shrimp called Rimicaris hybersae. Say that. Rimicaris hybersae. These little half-inch shrimp. They didn't have eyes. You don't need them down there. They didn't have bones. They were just these tiny little shrimp. Rimicaris hybersae. I thought that's crazy that there's life living 35,000 feet below sea level in this dark and cold place. And here's how they survived. And I'm not a scientist. Many students at TU are, but I am not. I know enough to know this, that down at the very bottom, the platonic or tectonic shifting of the rocks, what? Say, or is it the same thing? Okay, thank you. Whatever. You get what I'm saying. The rocks are moving, and in between the cracks in the rock, comes this warmth from all the shifting in the movie. And so when they sent this camera down there to see these Rimicaras hypersae, what they saw is the only way they survived was sticking onto the rock. Sticking right onto the rock. Um, I loved this time of lament and prayer. Paul is a great pastor, he's a great musician, and he's a, is a great leader in, in all ways. I loved that prayer. He's clearly soaked himself in the Psalms. But lament and suffering is part of our experience and part of our tune. It's, it's what we Christians ought to do. Because in this life, we all experience darkness. This world is not as it ought to be. Um, it's It's fallen. Um, for some of you, individually, you suffer with mental illness. Um, perhaps um, you struggle with depression like I do. Maybe you struggle with some sort of other anxiety or compulsive behavior. 
Our brains, our bodies are not as they ought to be, are they? Maybe you have suffered with some sort of traumatic experience in your past. Whether that be through a family member, a loved one, a friend, someone you've trusted, that's betrayed you, abandoned you, used you, harmed you. This world is not how it ought to be. For many of us, we find ourselves often in places of darkness. We experience this darkness in big ways, but also in more common, perhaps, ways, smaller ways. The everyday experience of insecurity or anxiety. The everyday experience of fear. Turn on the news, look at your phone. You're afraid. Turn on the social media and you feel rejected. You feel alone. This world is not as it ought to be. There's lots of darkness. And what we're going to see in our passage tonight is that in your suffering, you have two options. You can turn and unite yourself to the world, and I'll explain what I mean. Or, like those half-inch shrimp, the Ribicarus hybrisae, in the midst of your darkness, you can cling on and unite yourself to the life-giving rock that is Christ. The one who has overcome the world. And so the two points, if you want to take notes, is in our suffering we can, one, unite ourselves to the world, or two, unite ourselves to Christ. So let's jump in. Unite yourself to the world. Um, perhaps you were a little confused. The reason I added, uh, so a few nights ago we talked particularly about the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of dialogue in John 14 and 16 about the Holy Spirit. And I didn't have enough time to get to this section that we read tonight about the Holy Spirit. And in fact, it was, it's kind of different, isn't it? Perhaps you were a little bit um, confused. So I wanted to add that in, and as I was thinking about just trying to follow the train of thought that Jesus has as he's teaching his disciples here, I actually started to see a really clear connection between the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and the suffering experience for Christians who are living in the world but not of the world. And so what I'm going to try to do is walk through this first part of the passage that we read again, although we read it a few nights ago. And I'm going to do a big circle. I'm going to try to explain what he means by the Spirit's going to do this work of convicting the world of guilt in, conserving to, in, in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. And I'm going to do a big circle, and then we're going to get back, and I'm going to try to explain how that actually connects to the experience of suffering. So let's talk first about what in the world Jesus means. There we go. So first, Sin. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe me. I doubt anybody read that and was like, yes, I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, so let me try to explain. Uh, so several years ago, my wife and I, we, I was working at a church and uh, we would host a community group every week. And there was a girl in our group. Her name was Rachel. And she was just the most uh, out there, I'll, I'll be nice, out there person ever. She'd show up about 45 minutes late to our group and act as if, like, there's no big deal. Like, she'd come sit in on our conversation, and I'm like, we're literally wrapping up, and you're just now showing up. Uh, what are you doing? But this girl was just, she was hilarious, and but she came every week, and she loved us, and she was a part of kind of our family. She was a, a young uh, single girl, and we, she came over for dinner a lot, and we, we, we saw her a lot. 
Um, anyway, one night, I get this knock at our door at about 11.30, and the knock doesn't wake us up, and so I hear a, a doorbell ring. Here's a little backstory. That week, in our little neighborhood app, that's what old people use, in our little neighborhood app, we get a little alerts like, hey, there's something going on in the neighborhood, be on the lookout for so-and-so. We got an alert saying, hey, by the way, in our neighborhood, there is burglars going around, and here's how they get you. They ring the doorbell, and if you don't answer, they come in the back door. All right, that's all backstory. So here it is, 1130 at night on like a Friday night, rings the doorbell. We have like, a, our, our oldest was only one years old, so we were three hours into sleep, and I am panicking. I'm like, oh my gosh, someone's going to kill us. They're like, they're going to break into my house. Oh my goodness. Um, and so I, I get, I run down the hallway of a little hall. Uh, I, I'm in, in my underwear. And I'm like running down and I literally think I'm going to about to peep over the, the, the wall and see someone there like with a gun. Um, and who do I see? I see Rachel. Here she is outside our door. And I'm like, what in the world are you doing, Rachel? So I go back and I get clothes on and I wake my wife up. And I let Rachel, and she's like, hey! She had no idea that what she's doing is totally inappropriate. She's like, hey, my phone died. I was invited over to a friend's house, and she lives in this neighborhood, and I don't know the address, and my phone died. So can I plug my phone into your house, or into your wall at your house, and get a chart so I can see where I'm going? I'm like, Rachel, it's 1130 at night. What are you doing? Um, but it was just part of the course. It's who she was. It's how she lived. Um, anyway, what, what did Rachel do? What did Rachel do? She knew she was lost. She knew she was lost. She knew she needed help. And so she came to where there was help. So what's the Spirit doing? He's showing the world that they are lost. And that they need a Savior. And that's what He's done in your life. And that's what He's doing in the world around you. He's showing the world that they are lost. And that they need a savior. That's the first part of his work. The second part of his work. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. What in the world does he mean by that? Blessing. I'm going to restate what, what the sentence could say that would probably help you. Jesus is, is essentially saying this. The Spirit will convict the world of righteousness, because I will be with my Father... So I can no longer do that in person. So he will do it for me. In other words, Jesus is saying that convicting the world of righteousness was one of the main parts of my ministry. And the Spirit is taking over my job. Because I'm going to the Father. So what we see in Jesus' ministry is time and time again, he's rebuking people. He's rebuking the Pharisees for their attempts to grab and to earn and to own this righteousness. And so let's just think about the Pharisees for a second. Perhaps you're familiar with who they were. Um, usually when we think about the Pharisees, we think about them purely from a spiritual perspective. They, they were notorious for the people who looked to the law to gain the favor and acceptance of God. That's probably the main way that you think about who the Pharisees were and what they did. But I want you to think about the Pharisees from another way. I want you to think about them from a perhaps a cultural forming sort of way. That they were the ones who looked to particular things they grabbed at things apart from God himself to give them a sense of identity and meaning. Bring them a sense of inner peace. 
or to give them a sense of righteousness, to help them feel all right. So they would look, for example, to their diet, to give them this external identity. Hey, we're the people over here who eat a particular way. We're God's chosen people. They'd look to these external things to give them a sense internally that they are all right. It's called righteousness. They were looking to things apart from God to make them feel worthy and loved, to make them feel all right. And so what Jesus did time and time again was that he would expose the emptiness of their out, outer little performance going on here. He would expose, you're looking to this to give you fulfillment and meaning, and it's not getting you anywhere. And here's the thing. We're not too far away from the 2,000-year-old Pharisees, because that little Pharisee is inside all of us. Um, Dave, Dave Zoll wrote a book called Seculosity, where he examines the secular world and how extremely religious it is. How the world is looking to all these different things to give them a sense of righteousness, a sense of feeling all right. The word that he uses throughout his book is a sense of being enough. And here's what he says. He says, today, 2022, listen carefully and you'll hear the word enough everywhere, especially when it comes to the anxiety, loneliness, exhaustion, and division that plague our cultural moment to such tragic proportions. You'll witness people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, woke enough, and good enough. We believe instinctively that were we to reach some benchmark in our minds, then value, vindication, and love would be ours. Or in other words, we would be enough. But here's the wrinkle. How much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller, one of the first extremely wealthy people in America? How much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? He famously said, just one dollar more. Do you hear what, what Dave is saying? He's saying we look to these things, we look to a particular way of doing things, a particular way of thinking about things, a particular way of behaving, a particular way of spirituality. We look to these things to give us a sense of enoughness, to give us this righteousness, to give us this identity. And we will never find it in the world. We will never find it. When is enough? When have we arrived? Never. You know, your, yourself, my, myself, people around you are suffering and striving after a potential future self that they are failing to become. That's your world. You're striving after a potential future self that you're failing to become. And so your solution is just keep trying, keep going, keep going, keep going. You're spending all your time and energy and devotion to something that promises to come, and it never will. As soon as you're as pretty as you wish that you were, you'll only want to be prettier. As soon as you're as spiritually devoted as you want to be, you'll only want to be more spiritually devoted. And what Jesus is saying is that when we look to the sort of thing for our worth and righteousness, the Spirit now shows us how empty it is. Third, all right. That was the longest one. Third, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Have any of you seen the movie Bill, uh, Kill Bill? It's an older one. Yeah, okay. Wow. Oh, man, I sure thought more people would have seen the movie. I think it's a classic. 
uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, you can uh, maybe not watch it. It's pretty violent. But uh, one of the, the story of Kill Bill is very similar to other, uh, other, other stories out there where the bad guy kills a person. They think that person's dead, but turns out that that person's not dead and comes hunting for them. Um, you know, that's probably the movie. That's probably the plot line of dozens of movies out there. Um, and here's, here's what he means. Here's what Jesus means. The Spirit raised Christ from the dead. Yeah, we all know that. We all believe that, hopefully. He's alive. And what does that mean? That means that the worst blow of the enemy, the one that was thought to be the final blow, the one that the devil thought was going to be the victorious blow, that weapon, the one that led to his death, it wasn't strong enough. And so that man... That evil man and his demons and all who plotted against Christ and put him dead now stand condemned. So what you see the secular world doing is essentially teaching the world that God is dead. It's just become apathetic. It doesn't matter. And what the Spirit's doing is judging them and they stand condemned. The triumph of the cross and the grave exposes their empty plight the Spirit's work is showing that the devil, the ruler of the world, stands condemned. God is not dead. He's risen and active. So we're back at the top of the circle. Okay, so what do I mean by all this? Um, we suffer in unique ways as Christians. There's, there's many different ways to talk about suffering in this world. And I've just chosen one of them tonight because I saw some connection here in this, in this teaching of John. We suffer in unique ways as Christians. That's what I want to get at. Because we're pulled in two different directions. We're pulled into the direction of the world and we're pulled into the direction of Christ. We're pulled towards sin. We're pulled towards grabbing at this external righteousness apart from Christ. And we're pulled into believing and living like God is dead. But, because the Spirit is alive in us and we're new creations, we're also pulled towards repentance we're pulled towards resting in a righteousness that's not our own, not earned, but given. And we're pulled towards the foolishness of the cross, and the miracle of the resurrection. And that creates suffering as a Christian in this world. Um, I need three, three volunteers real quick to come up here. Three, first three people are going to be here. All right, Justice, all right, you're in, the, you're in the middle. Okay, Justice. Okay, here's what I want you to do, Justice. This is a silly example, and it's not going to be perfect. There's lots of loopholes in this as I thought of this, but I decided to go with it anyway. All right, Justice, you're going to stay in the middle. Shayla, and you need to pull your brothers. Okay, go like Shaylee. Shaylee. I said Shaylee. Okay, you need to pull. He said, Justice, put your left arm out, please. Okay, Shaylee, pull pull his arm as hard as you can. Okay. All right, all right. Remind me your name? James. James, okay. So start pulling. Okay, start pulling this way. Okay. All right, so if you were to keep doing this, okay, you can stop. Good job, guys. Good job, good job. Good job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The old creation, the dead man, the one not reborn, regenerated by the Spirit, is pulled into the ways of the world, standing condemned, grabbing after righteousness, living in sin, lost, and there's no suffering. But the minute you are reborn, the minute the Spirit enters your life, you start to feel that pull 
And that experience, if that were to go on, he'd start to hurt. That's one way of understanding the unique suffering of Christians. Your non-Christian friends are not bothering, are not bothered by their sin. They're not spending any effort towards repentance. They don't have a care in the world to worship this God because they believe he's dead. That is, that is part of the unique suffering in this world. Because you're united to Christ. We were made alive by the Spirit. We're now pulled by the Spirit and it hurts. But it won't hurt forever, which is the second point. Um, this is what you're asking yourself. So what, again, uh, Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples, and many of the things that he's saying come literally true for those disciples. And we see this here. Truly, truly, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. This is the death of Christ. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy when you see me raised. But yet, there are many things from this. I've said these things, verse 33, to you that you may have peace in the world at general, in general, applicable to us. There will be sorrow, there will be tribulation, but take heart, Christian. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. And we have two options in our suffering. We can unite ourselves to the world, the systems of the world, to try to help make the pain go away. If we feel alone or rejected, we, we can look to the, the remedies of the world to make that feeling go away. We can unite ourselves to empty forms of righteousness. We can sing along with the critics and live a life denying God, but that won't heal our suffering. It might make you think, it might make you not think about it for a little while. But it's like putting a band-aid on a broken bone. It will not heal it. But what does what Jesus promise? Jesus promised that our sorrow not just won't be thought about, our sorrow will be turned to joy. Sorrow will be turned to joy. Jesus says, I've taken the penalty of sin which the Spirit is judging. Take heart. Jesus says, I've given you the righteousness that you need, that you're, that the world and part of you is looking for. You don't need to search for it anymore. Take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the biggest blow of the devil. The worst blow that he has on you is your death, and I have overcome that. Take heart. He equates our sorrow today like that of a woman carrying a baby. Guys in the room, let me tell you, thank God every day that you are a man and you don't have to carry a baby. Women are so much stronger than men. They have to do the hardest thing ever. They have to carry a baby in their womb for nine months and then they have to push it out. It's crazy. But know what happens after they push it out? They hold the baby, and they don't think for another second about how hard that was. They're overwhelmed by the joy in that moment. And Jesus is saying, hey, sufferers, sufferers, those who have had terrible things happen to you, one day, I will stand face to face with you and it will be like it never happened. You will be so overwhelmed with joy. I don't know who went hiking, but again, small glimpse. My guess, 
put a lot of hard work into that hike up. And the minute you got to the peak and you looked out, you forgot how hard that hike was. In Christ, we are healed. In Christ, we are healed. Um, there was a, and, and, and we experience some of that now. We will experience all of that later. There was a story of a, um, a woman at a church in Tulsa who suffered uh, with cancer in her last few months of life, uh, was in a nursing home uh, on chemo, and every day, pretty much all day, she'd sing the hymns, hymn after hymn after hymn, rejoicing in her suffering. One day she died at her funeral. The pastor who tells the story was just amazed. Sitting in the front rows of this funeral was all the nurses and all the doctors and all the people who took care of her because they wanted to know more about this God who met her in her suffering. We experience the joy in the midst of suffering as Christians because God is with us. We are united to him by faith. And the promise of God is that the sorrow that we experience will one day be turned to joy. Be flipped on its head. I want to end with a story about these people. This is a flag. Anyone have any idea? That's a terrible image. Uh, It's like, yeah, not HD. This is the state flag of Mozambique. Between Between 1498 and 1975, just about 500 years. Mozambique was a colony of Portugal. And in 1975, they fought for and they won their freedom. And what I'm sure they expected in 1975 was that there would be a lot of peace in, in, their, in their nation. But instead, what they soon found uh, to be the case is that little pockets of, of people started to have their bear their own arms and wage war against their own people. So much so that eight years later, in 1983, they came out with their national flag and had an AK-47 on it because it became such a part of who they were. This describes the pain that these people have lived through. In 2006, fast forward 20 years, a group of Christians in Mozambique decided to do something beautiful. They took fragments of AK-47 pellets, or gun, gun, not pellets, AK-47 bullets, thank you. I don't know why I said pellets. They took fragments, they took empty bullets, they took pieces of AK-47s, the guns, and they patched this all together, and they made this image. You can't see it very well, but that is the tree of life. And it's made of bullets, And it's made of AK-47s. And this for those people was a sign of the way that God takes the terrible things in your life. And he will one day, he's currently in this process of making it beautiful. He's writing your story. He's renewing the heartache. He's taking the thing that that defines you, that's been the worst thing about your life, and he's turning it into a tree of life. And one day we'll stand face to face with him, and like a woman giving birth, holding this baby, we will see him 
their hearts will melt and they will finally find what all along they've been looking for. This is our hope. Jesus is redeeming us in the midst of our suffering. Let's pray. Go to this God in prayer. God, we do thank you that you make all things new. Lord, pray for those who are uniquely living through hell on earth. I pray for those who are carrying with them wounds and trauma and harm that's been done to them. I pray that your spirit would bring healing and comfort and companionship. I pray that you would provide for them people and resources and safety as they go back on their way. Lord, I pray for all of us as we live uniquely in this world as Christians, in a world that's grabbing our attention, wanting us to be defined by a million different things, wanting us, luring us away into life's lives of sin. Lord, would we stand firm in the gospel? Would we not give up? Lord, you are at work in our, in our lives and our hearts. We thank you so much that you call us children, that you love us and are working in and through us. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing a few songs of response.